Well, my minimal profit nowadays, see, I started off thinking whatever I can make, I can make. Now I'm structuring more along the lines of I want to make 20,000 at the minimum. So, you know, 20,000 at the minimum, I calculate what they're going to buy at and I subtract another 20,000 from that. So then I know, hey, this is what I got to offer, you know, the seller. I try to sound as convincing as possible. Not everybody likes the offer. Not everybody takes the deal. But I do have a tendency of calling more desperate uh, sellers than anything. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, I get to interview Mara Loya, who is a just newer in the real estate business, two years. He's doing some wholesaling. He's doing some deals, making some good money, making some $10,000 wholesale deals, some $82,000 wholesale deals, and he is doing well enough that he was able to leave police work. So congratulations, Mauro. And let's dive into it. Take us in as always. What is the craziest real estate experience you've had so far? So craziest real estate experience I've had so far, man, I got to say there was, um, there was a deal where I was assigning a home and, you know, I thought, uh, you know, I thought I had found that end buyer and everything. And uh, the guy was selling me, making it seem like, Hey, yeah, I got all the funding and everything situated. And uh, come to find out, you know, um, he was actually just assigning that deal to another uh, investor, to the actual and buyer. And man, I think, um, whew, the the heat between it, uh, you know, it went from a thirty day closing to a almost six month closing because of all the problems. And uh, I got gypped out almost like an extra twenty to thirty thousand dollars on that deal. So, so tell us, how did the timeline expanding out lead to getting less commission? Oh, man. So originally the owner, you know, they were okay with waiting a little bit longer. So there wasn't exactly a time frame as far as when we were going to close. We were just going to try to close within, you know, a certain amount of days. And um, again, the end buyer making it seem like he was the actual end buyer, which was just another wholesaler. He's saying that he wanted to kind of extend it because he just didn't have the funds properly set up. So I was like, okay, cool. You know, we can go ahead and do so and uh, let the owners know about that. And, you know, I tried communicating over with them back and forth. But ultimately, it wasn't until afterwards I actually had a call from, uh, from another investor um, he's actually a good buddy of mine, uh, in, in the local area, you know, he was telling me, Hey, um, remember that property you had a such and such address? I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm buying it. I'm like, Ooh. I'm actually assigning it to somebody else. He's like, no, I'm buying it. Your guy that you're, that, you know, the guy that you're selling it to, he's assigning it to me. And I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, how this guy right here that just the middle guy how he managed to also get a hold of the owner's information and contact information that just put the original owners just on guard i'm talking about this wall they just built was just like nope nobody's touching my home until we know what's going on and wow yeah man it uh that caused a lot of issues uh, a lot of things that i really didn't think was going to happen but you know they always say in the real estate investing industry there's always one monster deal that just it, it's it's just horrible that one was it oh you're just getting started bro i don't want to scare you but uh <laughs> you've done eight or nine deals in a couple year period so kudos to you for taking big action um and, and both the best and the craziest deals i'm sure are yet ahead for you so 
Yeah. Talk about like, so the, this first buyer goes and contacts a seller. Was he just trying to cut you out of the deal or what was going on? You know, I think in all honesty, he was trying to initiate a JV agreement without informing me it was a JV agreement, you know? So I think he was just trying to catch whatever he can, you know, it's one of it's like those people that you see on social media, Hey, I got an end buyer or Hey, I am the end buyer, but then they just ending it, assigning it to somebody else. Thankfully I didn't get cut out of the deal. I still made about like, I think 22,000 on that one, but, um, you know, it was, there was about another 20 or $30,000 right there that I missed out on because he charged that extra yeah. 20 or 30,000. Well, kudos to you for staying in the deal and getting it done. And so yeah. <laughs> talk to me about like you're in police work. What led you to become open to the idea of wholesaling real estate? Well, I used to have my real estate license in Texas. Um, you know, that was way back when, and you know, it, it wasn't exactly working for me at that time. There was a lot of fees going on, you know, commissions were starting to get capped and I'm talking about, it was, it was insane. So I told myself, Hey, you know what? I like sales, but not to the point that I want to lose all my money. So I started going into different work, ended up finding a job at the local sheriff's department. Not sure if I can say any names, so I'm not going to, I'm just going to say local sheriff's department. <laughs> and, um, that led me on until about, uh, when COVID opened up and, you know, started hitting the country in the worst kind of ways. Unfortunately, that sheriff's department didn't know how to handle it. And I'm talking about, they started cutting budgets, um, keeping us extra hours, not being able to maintain the salaries that we were promised. All I'm talking about, people were getting pay cuts left and right. And they were pulling officers from the streets everywhere just to focus on the jails um, because apparently inmates were um, being infected and they spread the virus. So now we're working instead of our standard eight to 10 hour shift, possibly, you know, 10 hour being overtime. We're now working 13 to 14 hour shifts, mandatory. And we got to still come back the next day at the same, you know, at the same shift time and possibly six days on just one day off. And you're on call for that one day. So finally, just a lot of us, you know, we said, hey, um, you know, we're going home. We're taking all of this, like, virus to our families you know to our friends you guys aren't even giving us any new uniforms new gear nothing new and unfortunately the inmates at that point were running the show running the jail so i said it's like hey i'm done like you know this, this isn't worth it uh i didn't join this so that you know i can be taken advantage of or you know possibly risk my family's life or my life for this like just done and um uh, you know, after that, I uh, talked to my wife and said, hey, we got to figure something out. And she said, you know what? We got some money saved. Why don't you see what you can do about being self-employed? Your dad was self-employed. Let's see what you can do. So I was like, all right. And then we're here. Yes. So what <laughs> we're were your here, first steps? A lot happier. Your very first step. So you leave your job. You got to go hunt some deals. How'd you do it? So... All right, so hunting the deals uh, wasn't the first steps I actually did. I actually ended up taking on, um, well, a mentor or somebody that knew the wholesale industry. And he started kind of explaining, you know, the whole um, uh, acquisitions, dispositions, you know, um, how the deals work, the percentage that the investors are, are looking for. So as me as a natural person, I am a natural sponge. So I absorb everything. Don't think that whatever you said, I've forgotten. I take in every little detail. Once I started asking more questions about how you start doing this and that, he started kind of putting his guard up to, you know, he's like, hey, um, just do your job. I was like, 
all right, cool. <laughs> Did my job, realized there was a lot more money being made if I had just been the actual wholesaler. So I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to try to find my own deal. Well, I uh, used the resources he had, which uh, he had, um, you know, he had, uh, there was like a, a Zillow account, a, a Realtor.com account, a Redfin account. You know, he had all these different things lined up in there. So I was like, all right, well, you know, he gave me access to his accounts. Let me see what I can find. And I found a deal, you know, talked to them, told them, hey, I can go ahead and, um, you know, offer you this much if you'd like to go ahead and take on this. And surprisingly, they agreed. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so ended up going to, you know, ended up going to my mentor's, um, you know, emails, found an assignment contract, read up the assignment, assigned it to the end buyer and bam, that's my first $8,000. So I was like, all right. <laughs> so was that your very first one. deal or did you do a deal with a mentor? No, that was my very first deal. I, I had gotten him, uh, you know, the end buyers, but ultimately I was just kind of helping him find buyers. Hmm. That was my actual first deal on my own. So I kind of just took whatever scrapes I could off of what he gave me, plus whatever I learned on my own and bam, landed my first one. What was your agreement? How much would he pay you for bringing in buyers? Uh, he was giving me 5% of the 5% of the total earnings that he was going to make, but he never really disclosed what he was going to make. So I just assumed he was being straightforward with 5% of which 5% is interesting because you now know that you're now that you're doing all these deals, you know what this looks like. So if he's making $10,000, 5% of that is what 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not a lot of money. <laughs> like give us, <laughs> no, give us some examples. Not. What were you making for finding these end buyers? Uh, man, I'm talking about, I had a check where, I mean, I had like wire transfers, $300, $800, you know, one was like a thousand dollars. I was happy. I was like, Oh, nice. A thousand dollars. But you know, um, I, I wasn't, I, you know, he just told me 5%. I was like, all right, cool. You know, but that's also assuming that he was actually telling me that was the actual 5%. So, yeah. I mean, it was cool and all for that time. But again, if, uh, I'm a hungry individual, so, you know, I, I gotta go and I gotta find the meal. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's hard to, hard to feast on 300 bucks a time. So you obviously realize, Hey, I just, all I have to do is learn this other part of the deal and I can make the whole spread. Your first deal, that was the $22,000 deal. No, my first deal was an $8,000 deal. Uh, my second deal was 12,000 and I got the book somewhere, but then it just started slowly rising. I had one where it was like a $5,000 one and that just started aiming in the higher 10,000s, 20,000s. And then finally, you know, thirties, forties, all the way up to 82,000 was uh, my most profitable one. 82 on one deal. How did the 82,000 compare to your income before you left the sheriff's office? My wife was very happy. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, um, I mean, sheriff's office. Yeah, we we made about sixty thousand a year. That's not take home. That's gross. So you know, taxes eat into that. But no, once um once that last uh check kicked in, you know, she was very when she saw that one, she was extremely happy. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, man. I mean, hey, the money's real. <laughs> what were the emotions that you felt when you experienced like the checks are in, the wires are in, they're coming into your account? Whew. Um. <laughs> Emotions, really, uh, in all honesty, it, it's insane. Um, just uh, just not that long ago, I had, again, I had another closing of uh, 25,000. Um, you know, it's, 
it's 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 crazy to think that we sit here we wake up every morning and you know in the standard w2 job and we work a nine to five and we wonder hey how are other people just raking in all this money you know and i always thought to myself they come from money or they created this amazing idea that that sold for billions of dollars and you know that's where it is uh no in all honesty it, it seems like it's now just i've came i've come to the reality that it, it's more along the lines as to how you work you know how you choose to place yourself in this world you can be a nine to five person i'm not i'm not hating on that i used to be the same guy but it's not what I want for my family. So when I finally told myself, you know, hey, I just, I need to make that change. And I made that change. And I'm now I'm seeing the profits behind it, you know, the outcome. It's it's a relieving feeling to say the least, um, you know, and also I got a big family. I could spend every day with my family. You know, I work from home. I get a chance to see my kids when they come home from work. I mean, come home from school, not from work. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an amazing feeling, honestly. It's it's so freeing. It's so lively, and honestly, I I wake up every morning excited. So your first deal, you do an eight thousand dollar profit. One of your more recent deals, you did an eighty two thousand dollar profit. Give us the process of how you were able to level up. What were the skills processes that you learned that allowed you to go from an eight k profit to an eighty two k profit? So, starting off, all I knew was just um, wholesaler. Well, seller, wholesaler, investor. That's really all I knew. So it's no surprise as to why I was getting those low numbers. But after I started going through it, I started learning again more about acquisitions and dispositions. I started learning about comping properties, uh, you know, which is finding the most comparable properties in the local area. Uh, ARVs, you know, um, you know, actually starting to calculate what a rehab would cost on a property and just hunting down the right ones, you know, not... Not all properties are going to be wholesaleable or, you know, real investor friendly, but um, there's a lot more that are. I mean, you have maybe 10 beat up properties for every one that's just ready to sell out there. It's just a matter of finding it. I'm driving for dollars in the very beginning helped out a lot. Yeah, I spent a lot of gas, but man, it helped out a lot. So you have some success. I mean, at this point, like all the stuff you're learning, you had already left your mentor. So how are you yeah. learning all these skills and these processes? I know I've, I know I heard a lot of people say it and I'll say it too because I mean that's what it is YouTube University man. <laughs> YouTube University teaches you a lot and the terminology behind it, but I could I can say one thing. Um my end buyers, uh, there's more a consistent one. It's an actual firm that has investors. They have been so adamant with telling me this is what we need. This is what we buy at. If you could bring us this, we got you. We'll pay you. It's not a problem whatsoever. Now, obviously, I don't always tell them what I get them, what I assign them for, or you know how much I get them under contract. But they they are really good with just telling me right off the bat. I get a property under contract. I text them, hey, I got, I just got this property at one two three Main Street. Um, you know, I'm selling it for this much. Great, we could do this. Okay, I already calculated how much they're more than likely gonna you know gonna cut in. So I just cut in my own share. What have you found your end buyers are willing to take as far as profits? 
the 70 to 80% formula I've seen always seems to work. They, they like to, they like to tag on that 70% minus the rehab, you know, that it's going to cost for the properties. Um, you know, that's what they like to see. If they can find some good comps, knock out that 70 to 80% plus the rehab. And that's about the price they're going to buy. And I can honestly tell you, uh, after doing it so much, after doing it so many times, I think I got the formula down pretty well to the point where I know exactly where they're going to buy at. Yeah. And so you know what they're going to buy at. Obviously that allows you to understand what your profit's going to be like. How do you determine for yourself other than just saying, I want to make the most possible? How do you determine for yourself what your minimum profit is? Well, my minimum profit nowadays, see, I started off thinking whatever I can make, I can make. Now I'm structuring more along the lines of I want to make 20000 at the minimum. So, you know, 20000 at the minimum, I calculate what they're going to buy at and I subtract another 20000 from that. So then I know, hey, this is what I got to offer, you know, the seller. I try to sound as convincing as possible. Not everybody likes the offer. Not everybody takes the deal. But I do have a tendency of calling more desperate uh, sellers than anything. People that have had their properties on the market and MLS for a hundred plus days, you know, people that have a home that they're not using, even renters. Um, you know, I, if I see that there's a property that's uh, you know, property for rent, what that tells me is, Hey, um, why is this property not rented right now? Well, chances are, uh, either a, it hasn't been rented in a while. And at this point they're just like, fed up with it or B they're having troubles with people actually getting in there and maintaining the monthly rent. So, I mean, either way they're tired landlords, you know, so that's my opportunity to go ahead and talk to them about purchasing it. So you got a deal on the line and you're negotiating and you're at a place where, you know, if you lock the deal up, you're going to make 10 grand, 20 grand, your new minimum and the seller's not budging. What do you do? So, that's when I started uh, mentioning to them, hey, uh, you know, just out of curiosity, uh, do you know how much closing cost is going to be? You know, I always tag on, we'll cover closing costs, we'll cover, you know, um, any extra expenses like that to get you situated. And we also pay cash, so you don't have to worry about um, yeah, having to wait for, you know, a loan or anything like that to be approved. More than anything, though, is a fast closing. Thankfully, my end buyers have been quick. They try to close within a week. So that's always a very enticing feeling, knowing the fact that, hey, in just a week, you're going to make 100000 200000 300000 doesn't matter. Whatever, you know, whatever we're agreeing on your price, in about a week, you're going to have your funds. You know, no 30-day stipulation or none of that crap. <laughs> so you worked in the prisons a little bit, right? Yeah. Is, that, is that fair to say? That is correct. There, you know, I don't want to like condone anything I'm about to ask, but just out of curiosity, I mean, prisons have people that have some skills, right? Some of the greatest salespeople I've ever come across may have a, you know, a crazy history. Was there anything that you learned in the job of working for the sheriff or from the inmates that has helped you in wholesaling? Not illegal things, of course, but legal things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, De-escalation. And uh, to give you a better idea in case, uh, you know, if you don't know it or if other people don't know it, it's knowing how to talk down a person when they are up here. And I realized that in this sales industry, a lot of the sellers are up here. So we got to find a way to bring them down to our level. And I've realized that that does help a lot. My voice doesn't sound all that interesting. So I think that's what kind of helps too. It kind of brings them down. Like, uh, this guy sounds boring. I'm going to, whatever, I'm worn out already. I'm going to put him to sleep. <laughs> but, um, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm going to put him to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go to sleep. Assign this contract. Right before, before you do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but like going to the practical steps, I mean, obviously we can't necessarily instruct people, hey, have a boring voice or maybe they can try, but what are the practical yeah. steps of de-escalation that you use in seller negotiation? So for one, you know, don't match their tone. Try to have a, a try to have a calming voice, but more than anything, you know, it's reminding them. And I feel like it always is the case is reminding them that, Hey, I'm not a, I'm not a realtor. I'm not coming in to list your property and take money off from you. I'm here to help you out of a situation. You know, um, I also help people out with foreclosures, you know, that way they don't have a foreclosure in their name. Uh, that's, that's easy. I mean, realistically, I don't know why people aren't hitting those as much as they do. Uh, whenever I go into the MLS, I see foreclosures just listed away. I'm surprised they're still out there, but, um, you know, it's one of those things where you just got to impact them in the way you got to invite yourself to their family, be a part of that family and remind them, Hey, I'm here to help you out. You know, I want to make you a legitimate cash offer. I want to get this closed and I don't want you to deal with having to wait for this property to sell. I don't know what you need the money for. Maybe you guys are moving. Maybe there might be a family emergency you guys got to address. Maybe, you know, you just need to get away. Great. Let me help you get away. Let me help you do all of that. And obviously because you're wholesaling, you're avoiding all the logistics of having to come up with the money and do all those things because your end buyers are bringing the deal. A lot of times wholesalers at some point, they want to start buying the properties. And sometimes that's a great move for them. And sometimes it's not. What's your vision for the future? My vision for the future is pretty simple. I do want to expand on the entirety of real estate investing, but I'm also aware that, Hey, um, I shouldn't shoot the gun before it's loaded. You know, I need to make sure that I have the best understanding of wholesaling before I move on to the next step, which my next step will end up being uh, fixing and flipping. But before I do that, I want to make sure I am literally the guru of, uh, of wholesaling. I'm the one to go to. Like if somebody says, Hey, uh, I want to get into wholesaling. I want to be just like Mauro, you know, that's when I know, okay, great. I'm all set to move on to the next step, which is to fix and flip. Ultimately, I, you know, um, whatever the goal may be down the road, I mean, I'm just looking forward to it because in all honesty, this is a venture, man. This is something exciting. Like I said, I wake up every morning and I'm just like, all right, what am I going to get next? Who am I going to talk to next? So how do you define what is the line of when you crossed and now you're a guru? Now you, now you're fully, fully master. Well, I got to say when I can get on the phone and almost 99% of the time get the deal. I want to, I want to believe firmly that that's when I feel like I am the guru. Gotcha. So, so your phone closing skills, you want to get to a 99%. So let's talk about the lead source because I'm in sales. I love phone sales. I love conversion rates. 99% is insane. So yeah. let's talk about like, what, what's the lead source that you're, you're using as that metric. So right now I am using a program called PropWire. Uh, PropWire, you know, is, is, uh, it's, program based on locating properties that uh, have been abandoned, uh, absentee owners, high equity, their renters, their owners that are out of the state, you know, you can, you can navigate it and you can filter it however you want. You can find a property that's on the MLS, you can find a property that's not on the MLS. I like to find properties that people don't, you know, necessarily go to often. Uh, they don't address anything to it. You know, they might be out of state owners or, you know, let's be honest, we all love this word probate because we don't ever know what, you know, what they really have in their pockets. I love probates. So if I can hit those two, even better. 
So 99% conversion rate, when do they qualify as a lead to be counted in your metric? Is it just that they're in prop wire or the first time you talk to them, when do you start the conversion rate calculations? So I try to start it based mostly, um, based mostly on, you know, that first interaction, you know, it, it's not necessarily because they're on prop wire because I could go to a, I can go to a courthouse and find them on probates. I can go drive for dollars. It's when they have gotten my attention It's when I see the property, I've already ran the numbers and I tell myself, okay, this property, I might have the potential to make my minimum. Let's go ahead and make the call. And before I make the call, I, you know, I get myself in the zone, you know, it's like, all right, let's do this. What kind of arguments are they going to have? Are they going to need to talk to a spouse? Nah, forget that. I'll three-way them right now. You know, <laughs> I don't really care. You know, just whatever, whatever it is they might throw at me. I try to throw every objection to myself before I call them so that I'm ready. I'm all set to go. Yeah. So essentially, once you get to the place where you're making an offer, at that point, you want to be locked and loaded every single time because you've done a great job understanding their situation, what they want, how they want it. And you're just delivering an offer that meets all their needs. Exactly. What is your goal for the next 12 to 18 months? Do you feel like you're going to master this in that time frame? I feel like I am. Um, two years, I've been making a good amount of money to the point where I'm uh, exercising more steps to expand my business. Uh, you know, whatever I need to do to invest the money in, I'll definitely go ahead and do so. But uh, in the next 10 to 12 years, I do want to open up, you know, uh, a group of apartment complexes you know, make sure I have a steady source of income every month. I mean, hey, that'd be awesome if I can have at least about uh, six, 700 units bringing me in about 1800 a month. I, I could say I'm honestly going to be happy with that. Yeah, no kidding. So I love having people that are newer in the game, a couple of years, they have some success, so they have something to talk about, but they're not 30 year veterans that are salty at, at any level. So what would your advice be to someone that's thinking about leaving their job and just unsure about it? You know, my advice to them or my words to them would be as simple as it is, but people, uh, Matt, let me tell you, they fail a lot of times doing it is just keep trying and don't give up. I mean, stay hungry in this. This is not an industry where, you know, you're comfortable at your nine to five job. The way I look at it, man, you know, and when I say be hungry, I, you know, when you go to a restaurant, I, you know, you go to uh, Olive Garden, you know, Matt, do you go over there just for the breadsticks or do you go for the breadsticks, the appetizer, the meal and the dessert? All of it. All of it, man. You got to be hungry. You got it. You got to be wanting more. You can't let them decide when you finally had enough. You got to sit there and you got to keep on going at it, going at it, going at it. And man, I've, I've had plenty of plenty other my friends. They say they want to get into this. They don't make it. Why? Because they're not hungry, man. They don't want to do it. They're happy playing safe can't play safe in this industry. You got to give it your all. You got to give it the best that you can. You really, this is, this is hard work. It's hard work, but it's work that you finally feel like you're getting paid for with the amount that you work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been interesting as the market shifts, my thought process and how I give advice changes a little bit. Like, you know, three, four years ago, it was a bit easier. So it'd be like, no brainer. Hey, quit your job. Now it's like, Hey, maybe do a couple deals, get a feel for it. See if you like it. Get it. Then, then if you know you've got the hunger after that, you can rock and roll. But Mauro, Loyal, thank you so much for giving us insight into your life and your business. Kudos to you for making the jump, for making it work, for building for sure. income. I am crazy excited for you to stay in touch with us to see what happens along your journey the next year or two. For those of you guys out there listening, write down maybe the de-escalation tips that Mauro talked about, the negotiations, the strategies, where he learned, how he learned. 
all those types of things because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you'll be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.